Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Wrestling from the Crowd. My name is Ray, and this is episode 10. We have ourselves a big wrestling week. We still got Raw and SmackDown figuring out who will join Team SmackDown on both the women and men's side. We also have a lot of, you know, regular matchups to cover. Also, it's this week's AEW's Go Home Show for Full Gear that happens this Saturday. So we're going to cover some really good stuff. I also mentioned last week that if Dark had 15 matches and plus, I will not be covering it, but I just will be telling the result and that's what's going to happen this episode i'm just going to tell you the results and all the matches that happen from now on we will not be covering aw dark i'm sorry for those who did look forward to aw dark but unfortunately it's becoming a lot for me and i'm trying to tone it down a little bit and, you know watching so much wrestling just takes a toll on me coming home from work and doing all these things so i have to try to dumb it down as best as possible to suit me and the way my time is handled so if you are disappointed just let me know you can reach me on twitter at wrestling from or you can can reach me on Facebook at Ray Calazzo. Also, I want to take the time to say thank you for those who are still supporting me and downloading this podcast. We are currently at 400 plus downloads on all of my episodes. I want to just say thank you to those who are still continuing to support me. I really appreciate it. Now, we're going to start this off with Raw. Raw kicks off with Randy Orton. Orton says eight days ago, he proved that he was the best, but then says he's the best, period. Better than Cena, better than Undertaker, better than Michaels, and all these other legends. Orton says nobody helped or protected him he's simply the best he mentioned that people saying that a lot of people helped him since he's a third generation wrestler everything was handed to him he said triple h protected him and he said that's not true and i truly don't think that's true i know randy orton earned his way up to where he is and he probably was protected at some point you know doing certain things because things i heard about randy orton weren't really good things so in a way he probably was protected but he earned everything he got so i can't take that away from him he says he's a legend and i simply agree with that he is a legend then he dares someone to step up and then Alexa Bliss comes out she just stands there in the ring smiling then Orton asks her where is the fiend she then raises her hands that say play and pain on both hands then she puts the play hand down leaving only pain she says he could be here and then the fiend's music plays but there was no fiend we see Orton turn around to receive a claymore kick from Drew McIntyre he says he wants his rematch then the Miz and Morrison try to sneak in and cash the money in the bank we see them call the ref then Drew comes back and ends up stopping the cash-in. Drew says only he will take the championship from Randy Orton. So we see Drew McIntyre foiling The Miz's plan to cash in his money in the bank and become WWE champion tonight. We know Drew wants that title. We know Drew wants to be the only person to beat him and he doesn't want anyone else to do it, which makes sense. So The Miz is going to have to be a little sneaky on how he does it. He either waits till Randy and Drew McIntyre fight or Randy and The Fiend fight and then take advantage of it. Like I said, I don't feel like he's going to cash in on another heel. He's going to cash on Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre takes the title back. That's a given. After that, they pan backstage to Miz. He says the bell never rang, so he technically didn't cash in. Then Miz and Morrison challenged Drew McIntyre to a two-on-one handicap match. So we're going to have to wait to see if Drew McIntyre accepts that challenge. We obviously know he will. He's not going to back down from anything. Now, we move on to the first match of the night. It's Jeff Hardy versus Elias on a guitar on a pole match. We see Elias try to have a live performance, but like always, Jeff interrupts his live performance with his his own entrance. We see Jeff and Elias try to pull off that guitar immediately. Then both men try to battle for control since no one was able to pull the guitar off the pole. Jeff attempts to take the guitar. Then Elias launches a stool at him to knock him off. So we see Elias in control for now. Also, Hardy tried to build some momentum but was unable to. We see Elias then reaches for the guitar but Hardy pulled him off. Then Jeff goes on the offense. Hardy then does a twist of fate and he climbs up to get the guitar. But Elias stops him and then he fights off Elias. He ends up 
kicking Elias away. He pulls down the guitar. Then he jumps off the top rope using the guitar to hit Elias. But the guitar doesn't break. So he ends up just pinning Elias for the win. So we've seen Jeff Hardy finally picking up the win. I don't know if this rivalry is over. I don't know if you'll consider it over. I don't think it's over. The fact that he wasn't able to break the guitar, I found it pretty funny. Because the whole point of it was, you know, for the guitar to break. I'm sure that's what they wanted. We've seen Jeff, after the match, destroy the guitar. So that brings me to believe that the guitar was supposed to be destroyed. Uh, what's next for Jeff and Elias? Like I said, is this rivalry over? Do you think it continues? I don't see any point for it to continue. There's th This match should have been over. Jeff won, and that's it. Elias, if he wants to run around saying Jeff Hardy's still him with the car, go for it. But I don't think these two should be fighting anymore. After that, we get Mandy Rhodes and Dana Brooke versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler for the women's tag team titles. We see Lana come out to watch the match up close and in person. We see Dana with some quick offense, then tags in Mandy to hold the control. Frequent tags from Mandy and Dana ended up holding the control over Nia and Shayna. We see later on Dana gets a near fall on Baszler, then Nia takes out Mandy on the outside who attempted to knock her off the apron. Then Dana counters Shayna's submission attempt, turning it into a roll-up for a near fall. So we're seeing a lot of roll-ups and a lot of near falls early for Dana and Mandy, which they're kind of teasing that they're probably going to win it, but I don't think they're going to win it because, you know, it's just not time to take those titles off Nia and Shayna. We see Baszler then get distracted with Lana. Then we see Dana take control once again. So Shayna Baszler is not able to mount some offense because she's just too busy with Lana who's at ringside taunting and speaking and doing all these things. I think I think the goal is for Lana to try to make them lose those tag team titles since, you know, they're always picking on her. They're always bothering her and putting her through tables. She even said like, can you not talk to me like that? Don't talk to me like that. And I'm like, you sound so soft. Like how how is she going to respect you if you sound like a child? But Shayna Baszler keeps getting distracted by her. We see Dana then go for a hand strike, uh, well, a handstand strike, but Baszler catches her in the Carafuda clutch. Then Lana gets up on the apron, distracting Baszler once again. And then Dana rolls up Baszler, but the ref is still distracted with Lana, so it gives Baszler a little time to kick out. Then when Baszler kicked out, she ends up launching Dana into Lana, knocking her off the apron. Then Baszler hits the Carafuda clutch on Dana Brooke and ends up tapping her out to retain her tag team championships. So we see Lana just trying to make them lose and then you see Shayna and Nia just staring at Lana and I know they wanted to kill her and I'm like no they're not gonna put her through a table like are they breaking the street? So I, I, this is how the match ended you know they, they just I, I don't know how this team's gonna work anymore. Uh, these women cannot get along none of these women are on the same page so it's gonna be interesting to see how the Raw women's team stacks up against the Smackdown women's team who we still don't have a full team yet. Raw has a full team, but SmackDown doesn't. They only have Bianca Belair so far. So expect a lot more qualifying matches this week on SmackDown. After that, Orton is interviewed. He says he needs to remind the Hunters that they can be hum the hunted. So Randy Orton is officially letting everyone know those who are in the title hunt, those who want to attack him, those who want to hunt him, he's going to be on the hunt now. Now he's going to turn the predator. He's going to become the predator from the praise. And, and that's usually what he is. He's the apex predator. He's not supposed to be hunted. He's supposed to do the hunting. So I can expect some RKOs in Drew McIntyre's future or anyone else's future tonight. Now we move on to the next match. Bobby Lashley versus R-Truth. And uh, to me, this was just a warm-up match for Bobby Lashley. We obviously knew the outcome of this match. But we see R-Truth trying to get out of the match by laying down and trying to allow Lashley to just cover him and get the match over with. But Bobby Lashley refused. And then he tries to lift Truth. He's like, I want to put the lock on you. And then we see Truth then try to fight back. Then he eats a spear out of nowhere and then Bobby locks on the hurt lock to win the match. And then he locks it on once again. So he added insult to 
injury. Like, you know what? I did. I tapped him out. Now I'm going to tap him out after the match. Then we seen Drew Gulak try to sneak his way into the ring to try to pin True for the championship. But Lashley ends up stopping him. He gut wrenches him and then he locks on the hurt lock to Drew Gulak. But then Bobby Lashley throws Drew Gulak onto R-Truth, causing Truth to lose the 24-7 championship. So even though Drew Gulak didn't pin him, you know, willingly, we seen Bobby Lashley just throw his lifeless body onto Truth. And then for some reason, he leaves the ring and then comes back in. I wonder if he was going to attack again. But then they were like, you know what? It's, you know, this is taking too long. Just let's just move on. And his music plays and he just stands there maniacally. And that's how that ended. So we knew that uh, Bobby Lashley, he's going to be taking on Sami Zayn at Survivor Series. And they have a lot of history. So this is just a warm-up match for him. I wonder if Sami's going to have a warm-up match of some sort with somebody on SmackDown. Or if Sami Zayn could have a title match and possibly lose it. All these Survivor Series matches are subject to change. After that, they head backstage where we see Lucha House Party. They say, Drew Gulak's a champion. Let's go get him. But they turn around and end up running into AJ Styles' associate. And then they get so scared, they run off. After that, Nia is asked about Lana. She says, don't say her name. It upsets her. She says she thinks she can interfere in her match. Then she gives her to the end of the night until her career is over. She says, you know, you got heart. You want to you wanna show me you got heart? Well, show me tonight. So I'm sure we're going to have Lana versus Nia later. After that, we get an AJ Styles promo in the ring. He says SmackDown isn't playing around, but Raw still has an advantage because SmackDown doesn't have a leader, but Raw does. He says Raw has Captain Styles, so AJ Styles is declaring himself as the captain, even though no one else has agreed. He says then he's going to introduce his team, and first he introduces Sheamus, and then Keith Lee. Keith Lee comes out, then he says AJ's not the captain, and if he thinks his guard scares him, he's wrong. Then Sheamus begins to agree and says he won't take orders from AJ. So we know both Sheamus and Keith Lee. Uh, don't fear anybody. These guys will fight AJ Styles' guard in a heartbeat if they had to. These two are fighters, so I'm pretty sure AJ Styles' guard doesn't scare them at all. Then Braun comes out. Then he says the only thing Raw needs is a monster among men. And then Lee says, wait, 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 hold on. You need to qualify first because we all qualified. Then he lists his qualifications. He's universal champion. He's beaten people. He's done this. He's done that. He says that should be enough. And he says you shouldn't be talking, Keith Lee, because I beat you cleanly. We all know that's a lie. Keith Lee did not lose cleanly to Braun Strowman. He was low blowed. Even Keith Lee said, he said, you think you beat me cleanly? So then we see Adam Pearce come out. He says, nobody wants to face Braun Strowman. So unfortunately, he can't give him a qualifying match. But then AJ Styles says, you know what? We should have a triple threat match. We should have Sheamus versus Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman. And if Braun wins, he can join Team Raw. And Adam Pearce agrees. So now we have an impromptu triple threat match between Sheamus, Keith Lee, and Braun Strowman qualifying match. We see Lee and Sheamus fighting. Then Strowman gets rid of Sheamus. And then Lee and Strowman begin to fight. Then we see Lee shoulder tackle Strowman out of the ring. Lee then hits a tope on Sheamus and Braun Strowman. This was, was, was pretty scary because he landed on his neck. He didn't really land on them at all. If you watch it again, even the announcers was like, man, he hit his neck on the back of the ring, which is the hardest part, that apron side. So I'm sure he was okay because he got up and he kept fighting, but that was a pretty scary moment. So maybe Keith Lee should like take off the diving for just a second because that was pretty dangerous. But we've seen all men battling for control with big offense. We see Strowman then try to chokeslam Lee and Sheamus on the table, but they end up countering him and launching him into the steel steps. Then they work together to hit Strowman with the steel steps, but Sheamus and his alliance didn't really go for so long, so he started to attack Lee. But Lee's strength began to prove too much for Sheamus. We've seen Strowman then spear Lee and Sheamus through a barricade, and then it comes back to 
to from commercial. We see Sheamus in control, but no man was fully able to take control. We see Sheamus get on a turnbuckle. Lee tries to take him off, but Sheamus fights it off. Then Strowman goes to the top and gets Sheamus in a suplex position. Then we see Lee go under Braun Strowman, holding him up in an electric chair position. Then all men go down. The end match was Sheamus goes for a brogue. Then Strowman takes him out of the ring. He then charges at Keith Lee, who gets him with a kick. Then a vicious clothesline. Lee then tries to finish it with the spirit bomb, but he ends up eating a bro kick. Then Sheamus gets hit with a power slam by Braun Strowman, so we end up seeing Braun Strowman join Team Raw. So, I wonder how does everyone feel about that? How do you feel about having, you know, Braun Strowman on Team Raw, along with Keith Lee, Sheamus, and AJ Styles? That's a pretty good team. So, SmackDown's really gonna have to come with some hard hitters. I don't know if they're just gonna do it with Jay Uso and Kevin Owens. They're probably gonna add Lars Sullivan at some point. You might wanna add Seth Rollins. You wanna add some really big stars to that SmackDown team. After that, AJ Styles gets in the ring to cheer his team on. Then he tells them to shake hands. And then we see Lee and Strowman shake hands because Strowman was like, listen, I know we have our problems. I know we have our differences, but we need to work together to take over Team SmackDown. And they agreed and that's how they shook hands. Then we see AJ Styles tell Sheamus to shake hands with Braun Strowman, but he refuses to shake his hand. Then he ends up hugging him. And then Sheamus backs away and ends up bro kicking Braun Strowman out the ring. Then Lee knocks out Sheamus and then Styles does the same to Keith Lee. So Team Raw, all of Team Raw's teams right now are not really on the same page. So that's an advantage for SmackDown. SmackDown, hopefully they can get their stuff together and be able to work together because Raw right now are having some struggles. We head backstage where Garza's talking about his feelings for his true love and then he says he misses that irresistible smile and we all know it's Lana and then he holds a Rhodes up. So I don't know what they're trying to do with Angel Garza. They're trying to give him a romance angle, all this BS. When he should be wrestling, they want to give him all these uh, feelings and, you know, going after all these women. It's just pointless. I thought this segment was pointless. Just have him in the ring. Have him do something instead of trying to shoot a promo on who, who he loves and how he truly feels. And then he started talking about the cheeks going red. And I was like, whatever. I don't really care about that. So we all know it's Nia. If he ends up going after somebody, it will be Nia Jax. And then we get another Drew backstage segment. He says Orton won't give him a rematch. So he forced him to give him one. And then he accepts the Miz and Morrison's challenge. So there will be a two-on-one handicap match tonight. And then he's also saying that, you know, he's going to force Randy Orton to give him that title rematch because he knows that Randy Orton's going to duck him. And Randy Orton has a lot on his play right now. He still has The Fiend. He has Drew. He has The Miz. He has a lot to worry about. So it's understandable why he's trying to duck a lot of people. After that, we get a Firefly Funhouse segment. We see Alexa and Bray mocking the RKO. They say, you want the most three dangerous letters in professional wrestling, the RKO. Then Abigail says, Orton can go fuck himself. And then Alexis says, there's no swearing. You have to give the money to the swear jar. Then Abigail's response was, I didn't expect this at all. She says, you can go fuck yourself too. So technically, Abigail and Alexa, you know, I think they're supposed to be the same person. But Abigail just wasn't having it from Alexa or anybody. Bray then says, Orton is a bad man. But the past is in the past. But the ashes that were found, he was able to make a new world. And then they show a video of Orton burning down that Wyatt family house. Then Bray says, it's not that simple. He never forgets. Alexa then says, you know what? Before we go, I have a new trick to show you. She asks for Bray Wyatt's help. He holds his heel hand over her face and then we see her chains. She has her white eyes. Then she shows a super scary long tongue with the creepy smile on her face. Then Bray says, oh shit. So, you know, obviously it's not a real tongue for those of you who's probably like, oh my God, where'd she get a long tongue from? It clearly was candy or some sort. But Alexa Bliss is really honing this character. She 
she's really making this character her own and she's doing a fantastic job I'm, I'm technically sold that you know what they should stay together forever she plays this crazy person this sadistic this this mental person so well that I don't want to see it go away anytime soon after that we get Nia Jax versus Lana we see Peyton and Lacey appear on the screen talking about Lana like she doesn't deserve to be on team raw you know she's getting all these opportunities she doesn't deserve and then in my head I'm like why are these two a tag team who, who sanctioned this who said yeah let's have Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce be a tag team someone back there said yeah let's break up the iconics and let's put Peyton Royce with Lacey Evans which absolutely makes no sense but I guess that's what they want to do that's terrible writing on WWE's part so we also see Shayna Baszler clearing off the announce table early so the streak will probably remain alive we see Lana then come out she looks like she's not worried but then you know she's really afraid we see Nia dominating early Lana tried to mount some offense but eats a clothesline then Nia goes for the pin but she ends up breaking her own pin to beat her up some more then she goes for another pin and then breaks it up once again she then tells Lana to quit and then she hits a Samoan drop for the win after Lana refused to quit we see Nia is gonna put Lana through a table but Lana tries to fight it off but that doesn't work Nia ends up throwing her into the barricade and then puts her through the announce table for the seventh time in a row so this gimmick is going over well I mean we've seen Lana go through a table every week for seven weeks so far I say we just keep it going let's just not stop it at seven let's just keep going after that we see an MVP lounge we see Bobby sending a message to Sammy he tells him no more games he's gonna put his ass to sleep he may be an international champion but Bobby Lashley hones the US champion which is all that he needs then MVP talks about that they took care of retribution it's time they collect their payment and they want it in the form of tag team gold then the new day interrupt we see Xavier say he's a big fan of Bobby he used to get in trouble for staying up late to watch his matches and when you think about it like dang Bobby has been wrestling for that long to have Xavier Woods as a child watching Bobby Lashley that means Bobby Lashley has been in this business for a long time and then we see them compliment the whole Hurt business except Cedric Alexander we see Kofi says he's held more titles than the Hurt business combined then he says he held the WWE championship and Bobby hasn't then MVP says he lost it in five seconds to Brock Lesnar even though your championship reign was something to talk about it was something monumental you still ended up losing it MVP then says Bobby Lashley could beat that record and beat him in shorter time than Brock did and then Kofi makes a Bobby and Lana joke then MVP warns the New Day but New Day don't get the message and they keep mocking the Hurt Business so let me know do you think that the Hurt Business is going to be tag team champions do you think they're going to take off them titles from the New Day I feel like they should I feel like the Hurt Business has been stars since the COVID era started and they deserve those titles they have held the show multiple times through the year so I would give them the titles and take it off the New Day so we have the New Day versus the Hurt Business we see Xavier Woods start off hot and then Shelton took control of Kofi once he got tagged in we see Cedric get tagged in to continue the control on Kofi but then Kofi tags in Woods once again for the hot tag Wood then goes up to the top and Shelton knocks him off to take control after tossing him into the barricade Wood then tries to build some momentum but he can't but then he ends up countering uh Shelton Benjamin to make a hot tag to Kofi who then changes the tide Kofi's offense lasted some time until he ended up taking a Michinoku driver from Cedric Alexander then he tries some tag team offense with Shelton Benjamin but Kofi fights it off Woods then comes in the match after getting tagged by Kofi Wood gets the pin but it's broken up by Cedric then Kofi takes out Cedric and then he goes for a dive but Shelton launches him into the air then Wood tries to mount some offense but Shelton ends up stopping it then Cedric gets the blind tag he hits a 
springboard in Seguri. Then Shelton hits the pay dirt for the win. So we see the Hurt Business picking up a win over our tag team champions, which means they're going to push themselves for number one contenders. I know it. Next week, they're probably going to come out like, hey, we beat your tag team champions. We deserve an opportunity. Or maybe they'll end up fighting the Street Profits at Survivor Series and not the New Day. So we have to wait and see how that goes. I think they're going to take those titles before Survivor Series. If they don't, they're still going to get those titles eventually. After that, we have backstage where we see Nikki Cross trying to find Alexa Bliss. She ends up finding her and she approaches her. She says she's been avoiding her and the Fiend is making her shut her out. Alexa won't even look at her at this point. Then she forces Alexa to turn around and she gets scared because she has that creepy smile and those white eyes on her face. So I don't know if Nikki Cross is going to get through her head that Alexa's long gone. There's no bringing her back. I don't know if they're going to have a segment later on in life where, you know, Nikki Cross tries to bring her back. But as of now, Alexa Bliss is gone and she's no longer the best friend of Nikki Cross. And I think they're going to go away with that angle. Eventually, they're probably going to have Nikki and Alexa fight. I think that's probably where they'll go somewhere down the line. Just, you know, maybe end that so people will know like, hey, these girls are not friends no more. Now she's with The Fiend officially. So we have to wait to see where that goes. After that, we get Tucker versus Ricochet. We see a new look from Tucker. Tucker, you know, he betrayed Otis at, uh, I think it was Hell in a Cell. And, you know, he, he says he deserves his own time. He's been covering for Otis. He's been holding Otis down. It's time he does it on his own. So it's interesting to see what Tucker can do. But then we see Mustafa Ali come out. And then, you know, we're all like, what's he doing out here? And then we don't see any other Retribution members besides himself. Ricochet then beats Tucker so fast. And I was like, what was the point? Like, Tucker only got like two hits in before Ricochet beat him with like a code breaker. And I was like, what, what's the point of this? Like, why have Tucker come out here, change his character, do all these things, get a heel turn to just have him lose to Ricochet in under 30 seconds? I thought that was the dumbest thing ever. And But I guess it gives Ricochet a win, and which obviously doesn't mean they're going to build up Ricochet. They just want to do something. I don't know what they're going to go for. But we see Retribution then come out. We see T-Bar then toss out Ricochet. Then they attack Tucker. Slapjack then gets out the ring to bring Ricochet back in the ring. They surround him and Ricochet's like, all right, like, I don't know what I got to do, but I guess I have to fight. So Ricochet tries to fight them off and then they attack him. The numbers game proved to be too much. And then T-Bar and Mace end up putting a double chokeslam on him. So Ricochet, I don't know what Ricochet is going to do. Will he join the Hurt Business? Will he end up joining Retribution? It's just two things in my mind. It's either he has to join someone. There's no way he's going to fight these guys off by himself because we know how Ricochet is. Ricochet is like, oh yeah, you attack me. Well, I'm going to attack you and I'm going to try to fight you and beat you to the best of my ability. And I don't see that happening for Ricochet this time. So it's either he joins the Hurt Business, he joins Retribution, or because him trying to fight someone one-on-one -on -one every week is never going to go well for him. We see backstage before Drew McIntyre's match, we see him come in contact with Sheamus, who tells him like, hey, you should be the fifth member of Team Raw. We've been friends for 20 plus years. You know, you should be on this team to lead us to victory. He then says he can't right now. His focus is too much on Orton. And Sheamus says, you know what? I truly understand. But wait, do me a favor. Make sure you kick that Miz's head off his shoulders. And Drew McIntyre says, I surely will. And they pound each other and they go about their business. So I know that they've been friends for a really, really, really long time. It would be nice to see Drew McIntyre and Sheamus pair up on the same team for a while. I think that'll be a really good combo. But we're going to move on to our main event of the evening. Drew McIntyre versus The Miz and Morrison in a two-on-one handicap match. We've seen John Morrison start off with quick offense, but it doesn't affect Drew. Then The Miz tries to distract Drew McIntyre, but that doesn't work. So, so far, Drew seems to be focused, you know, not getting distracted by this two-on-one. But the numbers game catch up to Drew eventually.
eventually, but just not for long. We see frequent tags from The Miz and John Morrison, which gained them control. They ended up holding a control for a while. They took the fight to the outside. They ended up throwing Drew McIntyre into the ring post and then the barricade. We then see Miz place his foot on Drew McIntyre's throat and choke him for a little bit on the outside. But then the match spills back into the ring where we see Drew McIntyre build momentum. But then out of nowhere, Miz hits the skull crushing finale while Drew McIntyre was distracted with John Morrison. Then Drew kicks out. We see Drew then pushes Miz into Morrison. Then he hits a future shock on Miz. He sets up for the Claymore, but Morrison ends up pulling the Miz out the ring. Then Drew does a tope on both of the men. He then rolls Miz back into the ring and then hits a Claymore for the win. So Drew McIntyre picks up the win over the Miz and Morrison. But after the match, we see Randy Orton hit an RKO out of nowhere. He then stares at Drew McIntyre, but then we can hear the Fiend laughing and then Raw goes off the air. So the Fiend is not far behind. Drew McIntyre is not far behind. Randy Orton took care of Drew tonight, but the Fiend is still lurking behind him. So we have to wait and see how these three men are going to fight it out for the WWE Championship. So overall this week, Raw wasn't that bad. We got some good segments. We got a new player on Team Raw and Braun Strowman. They need one more member. I don't know who that last member can be, so we'll just have to wait to see. I think they still have one more week before Survivor Series, so they're going to end up having that fifth man. Also, uh, Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt, I love this story. I love where it's going. I Hopefully, we get to see Alexa Bliss capture the World Women's Championship because I think she can truly hold that belt. Once again, she's held it many times before, but her new character really deserves a new, a new championship, and that belt deserves to go somewhere else. Also, I want to see the Miz cash in this Money in the Bank briefcase. I hate waiting for it. Yes, it's my favorite wrestler, and I want to see him champion. I hate waiting to see him cash for it. Like I said, I hope they don't go the Baron Corbin route and make him, you know, end up losing like some dumb, stupid segment that they probably eventually thought about or will think about. So let's just hope that he cashes it in successfully. But overall, Raw this week was okay. It wasn't that it wasn't that great, but it did fill in a lot of the blanks that we needed to fill. Now we're gonna move on to NXT. NXT this week kicked off with Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai. We know Dakota Kai attacked Ember Moon last week, which is how this match came about. We see both women exchanging holds early. Ember takes control after winning a shoving match between her and Kai. Then Ember is pulling Kai by the hair from the outside, but Kai ends up pulling her into the ring post to take control. We see Ember Moon mount some offense. She lifts and slams Kai with one arm. We see Kai then had an arm bar to build momentum. We see then Moon goes for a suicide dive. She hits the first, then she goes for a second, and Dakota Kai moves out the way. We see both women then battling for control late match. Both lock on submissions, but no one was able to get the victory. The end match was Ember builds a ton of momentum. Then she goes up to the top. We see Gonzalez get involved and distract Ember Moon allowing Kai to deliver a big boot and a finisher to win the match. So it was surprising that Dakota Kai won this match. I didn't think Dakota Kai was going to win at all. I thought this match was going to be Ember, all Ember, but it wasn't. So they, they kind of switched it up on everybody. For everybody who thought it was Ember, you got fooled because I know I thought it was all Ember, but I guess they're still trying to build up Dakota Kai. They're not going to allow Ember Moon to just come in and take her shine. Dakota Kai has earned her way in the women's division on NXT and she does deserve a title shot. No one can deny that. No one can take that away from her. She has earned that shot. After that, we head backstage where Cameron Grimes is being interviewed. We can see that he's still scared from his haunted House of Horror match with Dexter Loomis. He's all jumpy. He even sees the ref that was the zombie in the corner. So he's still jumping from that match. I think I like the fact that he's still playing off that match. It shows that that match really brought over and dragged into the next week. It shows that it also had a mental effect on Cameron Grimes. So he probably won't mess with Dexter Loomis anymore. After that, there was another segment with Shotzi Blackheart 
part. They were told she gets to choose her own opponent since she was the host of Halloween Havoc and she chooses to go against Tony Storm. So tonight we will have Tony Storm versus Shotzi Blackheart. The next match on the card was Kushida versus Cameron Grimes. We see a quick start from both men until Kushida takes control with quick grapples. Kushida begins to attack the arm of Grimes so that way he can set up that hoverboard lock later on the match. We see Grimes then take control through picture in picture. Then Kushida tries to build some momentum but Grimes ends up stopping it very quickly. Then once again we see Kushida begin to build momentum but then both men end up battling for control late in the match. We see both Kushida and Grimes knock out the ref. Then Kushida puts Grimes in the hoverboard lock. He ends up tapping but there's no official to call the match. Then Grimes hits a Spanish fly then pins but there's still no referee so we cannot have a decisive winner. Then last week zombie ref comes out and Grimes gets scared and then that distraction allowed Kushida to lock on the hoverboard lock for the win. So we see that ref once again playing a part in Cameron Grimes matches and Cameron Grimes like I said earlier he's still scared of this ref he still thinks he's a zombie. Even throughout the match Cameron Grimes was looking around like are there any zombies lurking? So he's still going through that psychological trauma but we see Kushida pick up the win and Kushida's very hot right now. Kushida has the hot hand and I see him challenging for a title soon maybe at a takeover or something else. I feel like he's going to go after the North American Championship. Maybe not Finn Balor's championship even though we haven't seen Finn Balor in such a long time but I feel like he's going to get a championship opportunity soon. After that they go to an Io Shirai video package. Io says there's one last challenge she has to face to prove. This is her challenge. She wants to face Rio Ripley for the NXT women's title. So we're going to see Io Shirai versus Rhea Ripley for the world title and we haven't seen these two go one-on-one -on -one since Wrestlemania. Wrestlemania there was a triple threat match between her, Charlotte, and uh, and Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley never got a one-on-one -on -one rematch. She never got you know another chance at that title again. After she lost it it's like she never even had it. They never gave her another title opportunity. So it's good to see that Io Shirai wants to conquer that one last challenge and that's beat Rhea Ripley one-on-one -on -one and see if she can hold on to her women's title or will Rhea Ripley take back what's so rightfully hers? Uh, you know, I, I think it'll be a fantastic match. These two women are incredible. Io Shirai has went from low to, to the highest of highs. Like her career right now is at an all-time high. Rhea Ripley got dumbed down a little bit. Her career was at an all-time high and you know, she, she got knocked off a little bit on that pedestal. So hopefully she can find her way back up and these women can give you an instant classic because when's the last time you really seen a great woman's match like over the top? You see some good ones, but you don't see some over the top ones. You always hear about the men's matches. You want to see an over the top women's match like like Bailey and Sasha used to have. They used to have some really good matches or Charlotte and Bailey. Or you know, those four horsewomen, they always put on great matches when they fought each other. So, I hope to see an instant classic between Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley. The next match on the card was Killian Dane and Drake Maverick versus Everrise. We seen Dane and Maverick attack Everrise early. Then Dane starts to take control. Then tags in Maverick who then loses the control after good tag team offense with Killian Dane. We then see Pat McAfee, Danny and Oni and Pete Dunne arrive, the supposed kings of NXT. Then they come out and they attack Killian Dane and Drake Maverick. Dane tried to fight them off but the number game proved to be too much. Then we see Pat McAfee grab the mic. He says they are the four greatest men in a group in NXT. So they're trying to say they're the four, the greatest four-man group in NXT. I don't think that's the case. I think that's the UE. The UE's the greatest four-man group in NXT. They say they will hang the UE's banner in the Raptors to show their respects and to retire them. Then Pat McAfee talks about the UE's success. Talk about how they came at TakeOver Brooklyn. You know, it was a three-man group. And then next thing you know, they won everything. And they were like, you know what? We need another man so we can have more gold. And then that's when Roddy 
Armstrong betrayed Pete Dunne and then he joined the Undisputed Era. Pat McAfee also says that the UE was getting a push no one has ever got before and no one else was important during the UE era. Then we see Pat McAfee throw the UE's banner in the trash and then Pete Dunne sets it on fire. So I'm trying to figure out why Pete Dunne is a part of this group. And then I've come to the conclusion that it was supposed to be Ridge Holland but he ended up breaking his leg so they were like hey we need someone else who can take this spot and since Pete Dunne was betrayed by Roderick Strong it only made sense that they had him take over for uh, Ridge Holland. Then we see Pat McAfee and the, the four kings the, the kings of NXT that's I don't know why they call themselves that but whatever we see them try to leave and then Killian Dane attacks Pat McAfee but again the numbers game proved to be too much. Then Dunne kicks his head in the door and then they drive away leaving Killian Dane in a pool of his own blood. So I don't know where Drake Maverick was. I don't know why he didn't come fight with Killian Dane. You know, he's supposed to show that fire. They're supposed to be a team, but he didn't have his back. I feel like they're going to play that into next week's show. Maybe like he's going to be like, where were you while I was trying to fight these guys who attacked us? And you know, Dane's a fighter. I know he's not going to let these guys just go away. There was no UE tonight. So that's pretty interesting. I don't know if they're going to save that for some time big, or they're just going to hold off on the UE for a little bit to have these guys just grow on the crowd. So we'll just have to wait and see where that goes. Next, we get a Johnny Gargano segment. Johnny says he's the first ever Triple Crown champion and the first ever two-time North American champion. Johnny says people says he hate wheels, but he loves them as he plays a board game. I think he was playing life. Then the screen character calls him and says he's in the house. Johnny then says, I know you're right next to me. Go, it's your turn. Then Johnny Gargano announces that next week he will defend his North American championship and he will defend it successfully, not like before. We all know he lost that uh, North American championship on his first title defense. You know, he had the little Sasha Banks effect. So he says this time he's going to prove everybody wrong. He's going to hold that title. Now, I don't know if it's going to be Bronson Reed or it's a mystery opponent, but whoever it is, it should be Bronson Reed. Should he take that title off him? No. So then in that case, maybe it shouldn't be Bronson Reed. Maybe it should be someone who who's in the back and never got a chance at the North American championship and who could put on a good match with Johnny Gargano. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Austin Theory come back and challenge him for that title. I think that maybe, you know, it, that's the best route they can go because if you give it to Bronson Reed and Bronson Reed loses, then there's no point of it. You should give Bronson Reed a big stage, a big setting, like a takeover. So that way he can really shine and show you his skill. Other than that, it's a mystery for me and it's a mystery for everyone else on who Johnny Gargano will face next week. The next match on the card is Tony Storm versus Shotzi Blackheart. We see Shotzi rushing the ring and shoves Tony Storm. She says she took her tank like, I thought you were my friend. How could you do this? And then the bell rings and Shotzi instantly attacked. Then both women start to battle for control until Tony turns the match in her favor. She even held control until commercial break. And then Shotzi began to build some momentum, but Tony ends up shutting it down. We've seen both women going back and forth. Then Shotzi hits a DDT on Storm on the apron. Then both women almost get counted out. When Shotzi gets back in the ring, we learn Candice stole her tank. So we know that Candice LeRae got some issues with Shotzi Blackheart because she got involved in her match last week at Halloween Havoc. So this was probably her way of getting back at her, stealing her tank and distracting her. Then we see Tony Storm take advantage of the distraction and roll up Shotzi Blackheart for the win. And then after that, we seen Candace like stop a monster truck or I think it was like a Hummer in the middle of the street. And she's like, "Woo, lucky we almost had a, a, you know, the tank get run over. Then she gets inside the Hummer and begins to run over Shotzi Blackheart's tank with the scream character in the back. Mind you, Johnny Gargano's scream character and Candace Array's scream character look like two different people. Johnny's look like a guy and Candace's look like a girl. So are there two people helping Johnny Gargano and Candace? 
LeRae? We'll just have to find out. But Shotzi, as soon as she's seen her tent get destroyed, she starts to scream and break down in the middle of the ring. Tony tries to come for her and then it goes to commercial. Then when we come back from commercial, we get a, you know, something that happened earlier. We see Jake Atlas come out his car and attack Legato Del Fantasma with a crowbar. And then when they were about to attack him, he ends up getting back in his car and driving off. So Jake Atlas still has a score to settle with Legato Del Fantasma. Then we get a Thatcher Thatch camp. This week's lesson, reversals. We see Timothy Thatcher lock on a guillotine and then, you know, instantly tap out the guy. I don't even know his name. I didn't get his name at all. I didn't get last week's guy's name either. I think it was like Andrew or Andy, something like that. But then we see him be like, okay, now it's time to learn the counter to it. He ends up countering the guy and putting him inside a Kimura lock and he holds on to it. So he's starting to abuse this student. And then we see him lock on another hold after he tells his student, okay, now your turn. And then he does like an ankle lock and he holds on to it as his student taps. Then we see the student from last week, Andrew, attack him. And then we see Timothy start to flee. So I don't know if this student last week is going to be something, you know, something new in NXT. But I feel like him and Thatcher are going to have like a little feud now since since uh, Timothy Thatcher out here abusing students and telling you, hey, listen, I'll teach you this. But, you know, you got to take some pain and not just regular pain. I got to hold the submission more than 30 seconds so that way you can feel what it feels like. So we know that now Timothy Thatcher will probably go against last week's student and Andrew, Andy, whatever his name is. After that, we get a backstage segment with Zaya Lee. They say that the letters from Boa are from her family. Then we see William Regal bring a letter for her and then she reads and instantly asks William Regal for a match with Raquel Gonzalez next week. So we're still trying to figure out what are these letters saying? I know they're from her family, but is Boa holding them hostage? What's Boa doing to her family that now she needs to win these matches? We have to wait and see. There's a lot of things we have to wait and see for. I feel like that's my catchphrase now. You know, we'll just have to wait and see because clearly that's all we ever have to do when it comes to WWE. After that segment, we learn that Rhea Ripley accepts Io Shirai's challenge. She said, you might not be afraid of this nightmare, but everyone's afraid of something and this nightmare is coming for you. So we now see Io Shirai versus Rhea Ripley. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen and it's going to be an exciting match. Now we move on to the main event of the evening. It's Tommaso Ciampa versus the Velveteen Dream. We've seen a new entrance gear for Tommaso Ciampa. He looked like he had some like sacred mask and like this pharaoh looking attire. I thought it was pretty cool. We see the Dream tried to attack early but failed and then Ciampa takes control. Then the fight spills to the outside. We see Ciampa truly hurt by the cast. He gets a lump over his eye and he starts to bleed from under his eye. So I don't know if the Dream inadvertently or maybe by accident hit him with that cast but his eye was like swollen and I, I thought that like you know Velveteen Dream's not an unsafe work man. He probably just hit him by accident with it but you can see the effects of the cast truly hitting uh, Tommaso Ciampa. We see the Dream then build momentum but Ciampa cuts it off quickly to take back control. Then Ciampa starts to attack that injured arm and doesn't stop. We see Ciampa dominating the Dream early in this match. Then the Dream tries to build momentum by raking the eyes. He held control for a bit but Ciampa quickly built momentum. We see in late match both men battle for control. Dream brings in a chair to distract the ref and then tries to hit Ciampa with the cast from the top rope but he eats a knee and then a Willow's Bell and then Ciampa hits the fairy tale ending to win the match. So we've seen Ciampa put on a dominating performance against the Velveteen Dream and we thought you know the Velveteen Dream had a little bit of offense but wasn't really able to mount as much as he would have liked to. Ciampa was just all over him. So now this leads me to believe that you know maybe these guys are done and now we're gonna go back to Ciampa versus Kushida because their one-on-one match never finished you know in, in them pinning someone. It was the fact that Velveteen Dream interfered 
interfered and got, uh, I think it was Kushida disqualified. So we're now going to probably see Kushida versus Champa. So look forward to that. I don't know what's going to happen to the Dream. I don't know if they're going to keep Dream in the storyline or maybe do something else with Dream. But I feel like the general direction they're going in is Kushida versus Champa. Whether it be in a regular show or NXT TakeOver, it's going to happen eventually. And the winner of that match will probably go on to face Jenny Gargano or Finn Balor for their titles. So that concludes NXT. NXT this week was really good. Uh, I feel like, you know, Champa is finally getting that shine. I think Champa is going to go and turn babyface. I think he's going to stray away from that heel since now NXT has a lot more heels than they do babyfaces. So look forward to seeing Champa turn babyface eventually. I'm also excited for the Io Shirai Rhea Ripley match whenever that happens. Also, I want to see what the UE's response is to the four kings of NXT and to see if this will be such a rivalry that people really want to invest themselves into. And I hope that I hope it is because the UE is such a great four-man group and the kings of NXT could be. They have really good guys. They have Pat McAfee who could speak. They have Oni and Danny who are really good tag team guys and they have Pete Dunne. What else can I say about Pete Dunne? So I have to wait and see and I look forward to everything that NXT has to offer and hopefully we get a lot more answers next week. Now we move on to NXT UK and before I start NXT UK, I want to mention now they're shutting down the UK once again, I believe because COVID. So I don't know if NXT UK is going to hold off for a lot longer or maybe this might be their final episode of the week or they might have two other tapings done so that way when the UK actually closes they have two shows left. I don't know how that's going to work but hopefully they don't close down NXT UK but they most likely will if they're going to close down the whole UK. I have to look more into it to see what's the real reason behind it. I'm assuming it's COVID related so we'll just have to keep our eye on it to see where it goes from there. And UK is talking about Walter versus Ilja Dragunov. They said that was the match of the year. That's probably one of the best matches NXT UK has put on. They got a lot of tweets. They started off the show showing a lot of tweets and a lot of people respond to the match. And it was a gruesome match. It was a really great match. And I think that put NXT at the top. So now we're going to start off with our first match of the evening, which was Gallus versus Sam Gradwell and Pretty Deadly. We see Mark Coffey get the best of Sam Stoker early. Then he tags in Wolfgang to continue the control. We see Joe Coffey then get tagged in, who wrestles for the first time in many months. We see Gradwell had control until he began to taunt Joe Coffey, who then launches him with the shoulder tackle. Then we see Wolfgang and Mark Coffey do the same thing to Pretty Deadly. Late in the match, we see Pretty Deadly begin to build momentum, but Wolf's strength stopped it. Then Mark is tagged in and he loses the control of the match to frequent tags by Pretty Deadly and Sam Gradwell. We see Gradwell then distract himself with Joe Coffey. Then Mark Coffey hits him with a Russian leg sweep, then tags in Joe Coffey, who is hot. Joe Coffey ends up holding the control. He ends up hitting Sam with a vicious discus clothesline to pick up the win for Gallus. So his first match back in months, and it's the same for Sam Gradwell. Sam Gradwell was injured. He tore like so many parts in his knee that he was out for two years. So he got a terrible return, but Joe Coffey got a great return and a win. So it's going to be a really good, good, good year for Gallus, I think. Gallus is still the tag team champions. I don't see them losing it anytime soon because, you know, of what's going on. And I see Joe Coffey is going to win the UK title in the future. It, not, it may not be now, but it's going to be in the future. We also learned that Rampage Brown signs with NXT UK. For those of you who don't know Rampage Brown, he was big on the independent scene. He was really big in progress wrestling. So if you don't know who he is, you should check him out. He's really good. And he's going to bring a lot of talent to NXT UK. After that, we get Aaliyah versus Ginny. We've seen Aaliyah mount quick offense until a vicious Irish whip from Ginny to take control. We see James try to mount some offense, but it was unable to. Then Ginny 
Kenny hits a rolling lagger kick for the win. So this match wasn't even maybe five minutes until Jenny ends up winning this match. And I know most of you are probably like, yeah, this guy doesn't like Jenny. I still don't like Jenny. I think she's boring. And I think that there's a lot of other better women on that brand who is way better deserving than Jenny. After the match, we see Jenny cut a promo. She says all women lack that killer instinct. And then she says Piper thinks she should be at the top. Then we see Piper and Nevins come out and they go face to face. Then we hear a maniacal laugh and we see Kaylee Ray come out. And she says, you know, she holds what all women want. She says it's gold. It's shiny. It's heavy. It's the UK Women's Championship. We all know that. Then she slides in a chair in the ring and says, let's see who has that killer instinct. We then see Jenny smack Piper Nevins, who then delivers a vicious headbutt, then uses the chair on Jenny. We see James trying to plead with Piper, who then gets hit with the Piper driver. Then she hits another Piper driver on Jenny onto the chair. Then she chases Kaylee Ray. During the break, they say Jenny ends up catching Kaylee Ray, and the officials have to break it up. Then we learn in two weeks, Piper Nevins will get another shot at Kaylee Ray for the UK Women's Championship in a Falls Count Anywhere match, and I think it's going to be another great match because that first match was really good. It ended off of the knee injury and that, you know, she took advantage of Piper Nevins having that little bit of uh, concern about uh, her leg. So we're going to see this match happen again. I think it's going to be a really good one. Now we move on to the main event of the evening. Noam Dar versus A-Kid in the semifinals of the Heritage Cup. We've seen in round one, it was a quick technical start for both men. We've seen both men feeling each other out, but no one able to take control. We learned in this tournament, that's how the first round always goes. All the guys always try to feel each other out. In round two, we see A-Kid building momentum early in the round until he goes up to the top rope. Then we see Noam Dar knock him off by his legs. Then we see Dar take control. In the last seconds of the round, we see A-Kid lock on a submission to end the round with Dar saved by the bell. In the round three, we see both men battling for control. This round, both men had a very quick start. So it was a really fast pace early third round. We see Dar hits a back elbow, then goes for the pin. He gets a near fall. Then Dar locks on an Uma Plata submission to verbally tap out A-Kid. So we see Noam Dar pick up the first fall. In round four, Dar attacks the legs of A-Kid early. Then the leg becomes his focus of the match. We see A-Kid build up momentum. He tries to get Dar in a sleeper, but Dar ends up dropping it to attempt the roll-up, which Kid counters into his own unique pin attempt to get the win. So, so far it's tied up 1-1. In round five, it was a quick start to the round. Both exchange shots and counter. Then Dar takes out the leg of A-Kid and then hits a delayed drop kick to take him to the outside. Then he takes flight to the outside and he tried to roll Kid into the ring who knocks him down to receive almost a count out victory. We see the round end in a slugfest which Dar almost knocks out A-Kid but he was saved by the bell. And now we move on to the first ever sixth round of this tournament. This is the first round six we've had so far in this tournament. And this is the last time these guys have to get a fall. We've seen a super fast start by both men. Then they try multiple pin attempts and multiple submission attempts. We see Dark catch A-Kid with a vicious spinning back elbow. Then he was looking for the finish, but A-Kid reverses it with an insiguri. Then he locks on an Uma Plata submission of his own, tapping out Noam Dar to advance to the finals. So, so far my prediction is correct. I hope to see A-Kid win the whole thing. He was my pick from the start. We have Dave Master versus Trent coming up. Well, Trent 7 coming up next week. And if Trent 7 wins that, then it's kind of a mix-up because, you know, uh, Trent 7's the ace of NXT UK and A-Kid is the underdog of NXT UK. So if Trent 7 wins, it'll be pretty obvious. But if A-Kid wins, it'll be an upset and an underdog would have won the first ever Heritage Cup.
Cup tournament. So this week's NXT UK is finished. Uh, it was okay. Uh, I wasn't really interested in the first two matches. I was really looking forward to the Heritage Cup and it did not disappoint. So I'm really excited for next week. Now we're going to move on to the results of AEW Dark. Match one was Bishop King versus Darby Allen. Darby Alley was your winner. We've seen Layla Hirsch and Elena Black versus Red Velvet and Brandy. Brandy Rhodes and Red Velvet was your winners. We've seen in match three was Danny Limelight and KC Navarro versus Jurassic Express. The winners was Jurassic Express. We've seen in match four, Ryzen versus Kazarian. Kazarian was your winner. In match five, we've seen Dave Druda versus Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks was the winner of that match. In match six, Sean Maluda and Alex Chamberlain versus Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. Pillman and Griff Garrison were your winners. We've seen in match seven, Aaron Solo and Angel Fashions versus Max Caster and Anthony Bowens, who was just recently signed to All Elite Wrestling, so congrats to them. They were your winners tonight. In match eight, we've seen VSK versus Five. Fives was your winner. The Butcher and the Blade in match nine versus Jersey Muscle. The Butcher and the Blade was the winner. In match 10, we've seen D3 versus Will Hobbs. We obviously know Will Hobbs was going to win that match. In match 11, we see Evil and Stu Grayson versus Nick Camarado and Baron Black. Evil and Grayson were your winners. We've seen the Dark Order in match 12 versus Sean Dean, Cesar Banani, and Fuego Del Sol. The Dark Orders were your winner. In match 13, we've seen Lee DiTapo versus Kylan King. Kylan King was your winner. In match 14, we've seen Chaos Project versus Private Party, and Private Party was your winner. And in the main event, in match 15, we've seen Sammy Guevara versus Lee Johnson, and Sammy Guevara was your winner. And, you know, I have probably have to figure out a way, a better way to share these results than, you know, just listing them by the matches. Maybe I'll, like, try to discover a way that I can, like, explain this a lot better than I did today, you know, because this is just the process of learning on how to do it since I won't be covering AW Dark anymore. I'll just be giving you the results. So maybe I'll have to develop a way to share these results without it sounding so, like, forced. So now we're going to move on to the main show, AEW Dynamite. We see AEW Dynamite open up with the inner circle being interviewed. We see Chris Jericho. He congratulates Jake Hager on his Bellator win. Then MJF interrupts. He said he is glad Jericho is on commentary so that way he can watch and see why he belongs in the inner circle. Jericho says, well, MJF, you check all the boxes, but you're missing something. He says you're missing that lack of killer instinct. He then goes on to call MJF soft, and then MJF says, just watch. Me personally, I don't think MJF is soft at all, but if Chris Jericho says he is, then I guess he truly is soft. But we're going to move on to our first match of the evening, which is MJF and Wardlow versus Sammy Guevara and Ortiz. And this is Sammy and Ortiz's first time teaming together on AEW. We also learned that Jericho is still upset with Tony Schiavone for telling him to shut up last week. He calls Tony Schiavone a butt kisser to Eric Bischoff. So now we begin this match. We see Ortiz try to mount some offense against Wardlow, but Wardlow's power proved to be too much. We also see frequent tags from MJF and Wardlow. MJF and Wardlow were in control for quite a while. Then a miscommunication led to Wardlow almost kneeing MJF. Then Ortiz builds momentum. We then see Wardlow try to stop him from making the tag but can't so Ortiz finally tags in a Sammy Guevara who was hot. He throws quick strikes at Wardlow which barely phased him until Sammy delivered a roundhouse kick catching Wardlow in the mouth forcing him to tag MJF who then comes in to get beat up as well. Then Sammy takes out both men with an outside dive and let me tell you Sammy is the future of this company. I know there's a lot of futures of the company in this business but he is one of them. This kid is talented. He's athletic. He has everything. I don't know how his pro I think his promo skills might need a little bit of work but when it comes to in-ring ability this kid has it all we see sammy then hit a gth on mjf and goes for the pin but 
Wardlow breaks up the pin. Then Sammy Guevara and Ortiz double team Wardlow. Then they take MJF to the top rope, then attempt to deliver an avalanche suplex. But then we see Wardlow go under both men and hold him in powerbomb position. He then slams Sammy and Ortiz down while MJF takes a suplex. Then Wardlow drags MJF to the corner to make the tag. He then hits an F10 on Ortiz. He goes for the pin, but Sammy breaks it up with a splash from the top. We see Sammy then take out MJF to the outside. Then Serpentico axes for a high five and Sammy flips him off. So he throws a chair at him and then he takes off the mask and it's revealed to be Matt Hardy. So we know Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara had this rivalry. They're supposed to fight at full gear in the deletion match. So this is him taking the first shot. Then we see Ortiz distracted and MJF locks on the salt of the earth onto Ortiz tapping him out. So we see MJF and Warlow pick up the win. And then when MJF is walking up the ramp, he attacks Jericho after the match who gets up smiling. So I guess Jericho's trying to see like, hmm, maybe he's not that soft. MJF is also trying to prove to Jericho he's not soft. And I think he's gotten that point across. Then we move on to a Tony Schiavone interview with Kenny Omega. He asks Omega, you know, people people want to see this. Is this what you want? Omega says, you know, this is my tag team partner. We have a lot of history. This is something the people want. And then Omega asks, was it really that obvious it would be me and Hangman in the finals? Then he says he was destined to win and become world champion. So Kenny Omega, I'll answer this question for you. It was hella obvious. We knew it was supposed to be you and Hangman in the finals. And that's exactly what we got. It was it was as obvious as could be. It was in plain sight. Stevie Wonder could have seen it. So let me know who you got winning at full gear. Do you have Kenny Omega walking away with the win or Hangman Adam Page walking away with the win? I'm, I'm ready to hear what you guys have to say. Now we move on to the next match, which was Trent versus Miro. We learned that Miro was Trent's young boy and a young boy means a mentor. You know, it's just like New Japan, the young lions. I guess Miro was Trent's young lion. We So, I mean, I looked it up. I didn't see any information on Trent being his like uh his mentor but maybe it was something behind the scenes maybe it wasn't something that was out in public but we see Miro grab the mic then he talks about Trent's mom who instantly attacks with a shotgun dropkick then he throws flurries until Miro pulls him off the top rope for a suplex to take control we seen Chucky e. T get tired of Kip Sabian trying to interfere in the match and he ends up taking Kip Sabian then Orange Cassidy stops Penelope Ford from following we see Trent tie them out some offense but Miro's power stops it then Orange Cassidy tries to help Trent build momentum but Penelope Ford stops him and then smacks him. He then takes her glasses. He was going to put his hands in his pocket then Silver blasted him from behind and the rest of the Dark Order attacked him from behind. Then we see them get sent to the back by Miro because Miro approached them. I don't think Miro was trying to protect Orange Cassidy but he was just like get out of my match. We seen Trent unable to build some momentum until he breaks out of a bear hug but he still gets shut down by Miro. Then Miro goes for a kick and Trent dodges to hit the half and half. Then he goes for a knee, but Miro catches him and then slams him. We see late match, both men battling for control. Trent hits the knee for a near fall. Then we see Trent go for a springboard, but he slips and Miro hits him with a super kick. Then he locks in the game over to pick up the win. After the match, he places the game over on Trent once again, but Chucky T makes the save, followed by Kip Sabian, who takes out Chucky. Then Miro grabs a mic and he speaks, and out of nowhere, Orange Cassidy comes off the top rope, taking out both men. So I hope this rivalry is over. It probably isn't. We're probably going to get Trent, I mean, Chucky e. T versus Kip Sabian, and then maybe a tag team match between those two before this is actually over. Now we move on to a JR interview with Hangman. Hangman says he feels good about him and Omega. He knew it would be him and Omega, just like we all knew, in the finals. Hangman says he's not nervous. He knows all of Omega's moves. 
Then JR says he thinks he's lying. Then Hangman admits he's nervous, but who wouldn't be when you're in the finals fighting for an opportunity to get the world championship? So Hangman is nervous, but he says he knows Omega, and that's where he's not wrong. They've been together for so long. They've had feuds in Japan. They've had a lot of history, and this is going to be a really good match. But Hangman, obviously, like we did, knew it was coming. And if Hangman wins it, I'll be surprised. If Omega wins it, then we'll know that Omega was supposed to win this whole thing. But I truly think Omega's going to win it. If Hangman wins it, it's just to throw us off because most of us probably know this tournament was designed for Omega. And if Omega wins, we just already knew that the results was this. He's the cleaner. He's not going to come back to this gimmick to start losing. This gimmick, you know, the, the whole grand entrance, the PWI Insider 2019 Wrestler of the Year, like stuff like that, he's not going to lose if at, at full gear. I truly believe he's not. Now we move on to the next match, which is the Young Bucks versus Private Party. We see before the match, Taz comes out. He says Hobbs is wasting his time. Then he says he stood outside of Tony Khan's office, who apparently was unavailable. He also mentions that Cage is 10-1. and one. It says that one doesn't count because he never tapped or submitted. He also then says that Brian Cage is ranked number one, and he isn't getting a match at full gear for the AEW title. He also mentions that Ricky Starks isn't ranked, and he's won the last 10 of his matches. And that's kind of strange, too. I wonder why Ricky Starks isn't ranked either. He should at least be in that TNT television title picture. We see Stark say it's unfair they don't have a match at full gear. He says Cody and Darby are spoiled. Then Team Taz is getting work. Taz then says FTW will make their presence felt at full gear. So at full gear, something's going to happen. Either someone's going to get attacked, whether it be Cody or Moxley or whoever takes the title, whether it be Darby or Eddie Kingston. So FTW will make their presence felt. So look out for that. Now we see Private Party make their entrance with Matt Hardy, but then out of nowhere, Sammy Guevara hits the twist of fate on Matt Hardy. So we know Matt Hardy attacked him earlier in the show and Sammy finally got his revenge on Matt Hardy. Then the Young Bucks come out and we see that Matt Jackson is still limping. So he's playing on this leg injury, but he says he's fine for full gear. So we'll still see the Young Bucks versus FTR at full gear. So the match finally begins. We see a quick start from Nick Jackson. The Bucks show great tag team offense, even though Matt is hurt. Matt hits a tope and hurts his ankle once again. I don't think he should be going for topes. That's just dangerous. We see Quinn then make the bland tag on Cassie to gain control, then tags in Nick, but Private Party's offense proved to be too much at the moment. We see the Bucks build momentum after knocking Isaiah off the top rope to the ramp, then taking advantage of Mark Quinn with their world-class tag team offense. We see Quinn then reverse the Meltzer driver, taking out both Bucks, and then hesitating because of Matt's ankle caused him to lose advantage once again. We see Isaiah gets the hot tag, changing the tie to the match. Then Nick builds offense to try and tag Matt, who still wasn't on his feet, so Nick charges back to Quinn, who then counters, placing him to the top rope, and then they hit the gin and juice. Then they go for the pin, but Matt Hardy breaks it up. We see Quinn go for a shooting star. Nick moves, and then Matt hits a spear out of nowhere. Then Nick takes out Isaiah Cassidy with the super kick. Then we see Nick hit Quinn with the knee for a near fall. The end match was the Bucks hit the BTE trigger for the win. Then FTR came after the match to attack the Young Bucks. They try to wrap Matt's leg in a chair once again, and they force Nick to watch. Then we see Hangman make the save and follow behind him was Kenny Omega. We see the Bucks and FTR going back and forth exchanging words. Then we see Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page do a fist bump. And then their attention goes to FTR and I guess Hangman had a change of mind and then he spins Kenny Omega around and then they go face to face. And Kenny Omega just looks like, hey, listen, I don't want no problems. We're not here for that. So we don't really get a huge build up for full gear between these two. But the 
that doesn't take away from the match. But I know that FTR and the Young Bucks are going to be a good match, especially since if the Young Bucks lose, they can never challenge for those tag titles again, which brings me to believe that they are going to win at full gear. Now we move on to the Moxley and Kingston face-to-face, -face, and it was announced that if him and Moxley fight, there will be no match at full gear. I also want to point out that Moxley has been holding this title for 249 days plus. So he's held this title for a long time. I don't know if he's going to hold it for a whole year. I don't think he is. Like I said, I feel like Eddie Kingston should win it at full gear. So we'll just have to wait and see for that. Before I go through this face-to-face -face between Mox and Kingston, I just want to point out this is probably one of the most real promos that AEW has put out. I don't even think this is a scripted promo. I think these two men are really sitting here shooting on each other. And that's what makes this so great. So we're going to start this off. Kingston kicks Tony Schiavone out the ring. Then he goes nose to nose with Moxley. He says, you think this is a game? I'm going to take that title from you. He says the AEW championship is important. This is why he wasn't able to have kids. This is why he can't make his mama proud. But when he wins it, he's going to give that mom his title and she'll understand why. And then he says, this is why he became a sellout and became everything he hated. He says it's too late for him. Mox can't save him. Then Mox goes on to say, loyalty is a bitch. He's been burned over and over again, but he never thought he'll be burned by Eddie. He says he was happy for Eddie, but Eddie says, you weren't happy for me. Then Mox says he was happy for you and happy for your mother. And that's when Eddie Kingston's like, don't talk about my mother. Then John said he sat at her table. He said grace with her. He made a promise to her that he will look after Eddie and always have his back. Then Mox says, I guess I failed and broke that promise. And at this point, Eddie Kingston got his back turned. He's mumbling to himself. He is heated right now. Mox says that the loudest is usually the weakest and Kingston has been real loud. Mox then goes on to say Kingston will lose and after 18 years, he'll show that he didn't deserve it at all. And he made a promise to his mom he can't keep. Then Kingston says, you better be ready to kill me. Mox says Eddie will be alone with his ego and that's a lonely place. He will quit. So this, this promo was amazing from both men. It felt real and the hype for this match is incredible. These two men are real life friends. These two men have grown up in the business together and these two are going to pull on a hell of a match whether it's not high flying. This is just going to be a slugfest in general and I'm truly hyped for this match. Then we get an announcement from Pac. He says he's been gone for seven months. He's getting better every day. He's getting stronger, faster, much more better. And then he doesn't even hint his return. It just like ends immediately. We see him with like 10,000 of himself and but he doesn't even say if he's coming back soon or not. My, my thing is he comes back at full gear and he attacks whoever wins the TNT title or whoever. But I feel like he's gonna he's gonna come back soon and they wouldn't show him if he's not coming back soon. It's been seven whole months. So if uh, Pac comes at full gear, I'll be really happy because Pac's been gone for such a long time and he was one of the best that they had. So we'll have to wait and see until full gear. Now we move on to the co-main event of the evening. Red Velvet versus Nyla Rose. Also, before the match, it was announced for next week that QT and Dustin will face the Butcher and the Blade. Then Allie approaches QT and says, thanks for the gifts, but all your cards are maxed out. And then she throws them at him. Then Butcher comes at Dustin with a kendo stick and attacks him. Then the Blade attacks QT. So this rivalry has been brewing for a long time and now they finally will face each other. So now we get to the match. We see Velvet is on the attack instantly. Then Velvet decides to showboat and pays for it with the dominant offense from Nyla Rose. Red Velvet then tries to mount some offense. Then she goes up to the top. Nyla catches her in a Pomeron position and then hits her with the Beast Bomb. She goes for the pin but breaks her own pin. She then stares at Sheeta and bows and then steals Sheeta's finisher, which is that running knee. Then she pins Red Velvet and stares down Sheeta. Then we see Vicky Guerrero grab a mic. She says it's
bit sad that Red Velvet comes out with Brandy Rhodes and still can't get a win. Then calls Brandy Chief Bullshit Officer. Vicky then approaches Sheeta and she says that Tony Khan forced her to accept Nyla's challenge. Then Sheeta got tired of Vicky's crap, so she grabs her. Then Nyla Rose attacks, and then both women start slugging it out. So they're building up this match for Sheeta and Nyla Rose at full gear. I think it's gonna be a really good match. Do we see the reign of Sheeta end? And a new reign begins in Nyla Rose. Will Nyla Rose be the first two-time women's AEW champion? I believe she'll be the first. I don't think anyone else has won it more than her. I believe it was Rio who was our inaugural champion, then Nyla Rose won it, and then Sheeta. So yeah, if Nyla Rose does win it again, she will be the two-time AEW women's champion, and that's a big accomplishment. And now we learn that Ray Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. will go again, and they will have a rematch in two weeks. So I knew they were going to build on this brother-brother thing, and they're going to fight once again. It's going to be a really good match. Now we move on to the main event of the evening, Cody and the Gun Club versus Dark Order. We see Darby Allin, he gets a video package of him hitting a car with a skateboard, and then he runs over someone wearing a Cody face mask. So they're truly building up this match between Cody and Darby Allin. But now we're back to the match. We see Cody and Silver lock up. Then Silver tries to knock Cody off his feet with a shoulder charge. It doesn't work, so then he slaps Cody, who goes on the attack, then tags in Austin to hold the control. We see Silver's distract Austin gun with a kick to allow Ten to take control with the spine buster. Then the Dark Order holds control through picture and picture with frequent tags. We see Billy Gunn come in to change the title of the match. Then he hits a famous R on 10, then goes for the pin, but John Silvers breaks it up. And then Cody takes out both Silver and Cabana. Then Cody hits a tope on Colt Cabana. Austin gets the hot tag once again. He gives a crossroads to Colt Cabana. Then a quick draw to 10 for the win. So I didn't think that, that Austin Gunn was gonna win this match at all. You know, usually it's Billy Gunn who finishes these matches, but Austin Gunn got his shine in this match. Also to mention that Billy Gunn and Austin Gunn are now part of Gun Club along with Shoddy Lee Johnson. So three new members to Gun Club. After the match, we've seen the Dark Order arrive. Silver tries to attack from behind, but Orange Cassidy comes out and stops him. Then he delivers the Orange Punch. So Dark Order retreats. So they're also building up Orange Cassidy and John Silver the whole night. This is the second time that these guys have come to collision. When John Silver attacked him from behind, now Orange Cassidy is attacking him. So there's a lot of buildups in this uh, go-home show for a then after the match Cody speaks he cuts a little promo on Darby Allen for their TNT title match Cody says I brought you into AEW I had to prove to everybody that you were a star by wrestling you myself and we even went the time limit draw he told Darby to quit lying to himself about TNT not wanting him as a champion he told Allen he's not the ace and he won't win the ace title at full gear so Cody cutting a good promo on Darby Allen so I know this match is going to be a really good match all around I think that this match, not Darby Allen versus Cody, but the Dark Order versus Cody and Gun Club, shouldn't have been the main event. It should have been like the Young Bucks and Private Party or something else. This just didn't feel like a main event to me, but that was their writing. I don't write the show. So that's going to end AEW. I'm excited for Full Gear this Saturday, and I think it's going to be one hell of a pay-per-view, and it was a really good go-home show. It didn't really cover that much for Omega and uh, Hangman Adam Page, but you know, it gave us you know some feeling that, you know what, this is going to be a really good pay-per-view and some of these matches look very exciting so look forward to full gear this saturday now we're gonna move on to the last show of the evening friday night smackdown friday night smackdown this week kicked off with sasha banks versus bailey for the smackdown women's championship we've seen a quick start from both women both try to gain control fast then sasha tries to lock on the bank statement and bailey escapes
escapes early. We see Sasha was in control when back from the break. Then she hits a Meteora on Bailey on the apron. She then goes for another one, but Bailey ends up countering it, launching her into the air to hit the ground. We see Bailey in control, but that doesn't really last too long. We see Sasha tries to powerbomb Bailey onto the announce table, but Bailey ends up countering it into a Hurricanrana. So now Sasha is over the table. Then later on, we see both women going back and forth. Both try to hit their finishes, but none could. We see Bailey slides into kendo sticks, which distracts the ref. Then she brings in a chair, but Sasha kicked the chair away. And then she looked like she was going to use that chair, but she ends up throwing it away. Then Bailey ends up hitting her with a backstabber and a Bailey to belly, only to get the near fall. Then she hits a flying elbow for another near fall. So so far, Bailey has tried to hit two big moves and just can't put Sasha away. We see Sasha try to build momentum, but Bailey stops it with a flurry and then gets another near fall. Then she locks on the bank statement onto Sasha Banks, but then both roll to the apron. Bailey tries to spear Banks, who dodges, causing Bailey to hit the ring post. Then puts her in the ring to lock on the bank statement to tap out Bailey and retain her SmackDown Women's Championship. So this was a really good opening for SmackDown. These two women really tore the house down to Hell in a Cell, and they really did a good opening for SmackDown. Um, I'm glad to see that Sasha Banks keeps the title because we all know she has that spell of when she wins it, she can never retain it when she defends it. Now my question leaves me to believe, like, what's next for Bailey? Is Bailey gonna join Team SmackDown eventually for the women's side? Is she eventually gonna go against Sasha again? We'll just have to wait and see. But after the match, we've seen Sasha Banks walking up to the top of the ramp. She then turns around to receive a super kick from Carmella, and then she hits a face buster. So we see Carmella is back. We've known Carmella was gonna be back for a while now. She looks good. I think that, you know, this is uh, her showing us that she's going after Sasha Banks title and that's what they're setting her up for. I heard she's going to get a really big singles push and it's going to start with Sasha Banks. Do I think she's going to capture the title right now? No, because Sasha's going to be the hottest thing there is right now for the women's division. Now we move on to a backstage segment where Owens approaches Jay Uso. Then he says, now you're getting coffee for Roman. He says, you shouldn't be doing that. Isn't that Heyman's job? Jay responds with, you think my family is a joke? Then Owens says, he thinks none of this is a joke. He says he just wanted to check on him because they're Survivor Series partners. So, you know, we know that Kevin Owens was trying to be friends, uh, not friends, but tag team partners with Daniel Bryan. And to see his uh, future tag team partner getting beat up viciously like Jay did, I think that kind of hurts Kevin Owens and it kind of pisses him off. So he is poking some fun at Jay Uso because now he technically is Roman's slave. Now we move on to a Jay Uso exclusive interview. They begin by showing a recap of all of Jay Uso, all that he's been doing since he started being with Roman. And they also show his vicious attack on Daniel Bryan. We also learn that Jay continued the attack off the air last week. So I didn't know what happened because last time they ended SmackDown, he was just on the announce table still punching him. But it turns out he was put onto a gurney and then Jay Uso just threw him off and kept assaulting him. So that lasted a lot longer than we all thought. Jay Uso then goes on to say he did what he had to. He says he considers Daniel Bryan a friend, but he ain't blood. Then says family's forever. We then hear Kayla Braxton say, you're right, family is forever unless you don't fall in line and do what Roman tells you to do. Otherwise, you're out of the family. Then Jay says, everyone got jokes today. Then Heyman comes out of nowhere and says, did Roman authorize this interview? And then tells Jay, Roman wants to speak with him. Then Kayla says, I guess Heyman's got a better spot in the family than you do. So we see Kayla Braxton not caring. She's on savage mode today and just don't care about sparing Jay Uso's feelings because everybody knows what he's doing is wrong, but no one really understands what he's going through because like he said, this is family. This is family business and no one's truly going to understand. After that, we get another backstage segment where Ray is trying to contact Aaliyah but can't seem to get a hold of her. Then Dominic says, your match is next. What are you doing? He says, have you seen your sister? Dominic says, I haven't seen Aaliyah at all.
all either. Ray then asks Dominic to go get his gear, but when Dominic leaves, Baron Corbin attacks Rey Mysterio. Then Dominic ends up running back, but by the time Dominic runs back, Baron Corbin is already long gone. Now we shift over to another backstage segment. Paul Heyman tells Jay he has to run everything by Roman. Then Jay says, then let's go talk to him. Heyman says he'll get him. Then Roman comes out and asks, why are you doing an interview with Kayla? Roman says there's a chain of command. Then says, what's up with Owens? Jay responds, he was just making jokes. Then Roman says, you're going to let him disrespect our family and drag our name? Jay then says he will handle it and then leaves. Roman then asks Heyman if he knew about this, what was happening. Heyman responds, I only knew as it was happening. Then Roman says, you're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to handle everything so I don't have to. Then he tells Heyman to find Adam Pierce. They're going to handle this KO problem. So we're probably going to have a KO versus Jay Uso match because Roman Reigns is demanding Paul Heyman to find Adam Pierce. And I don't know why Adam Pierce controls both brands. I don't know. Can somebody explain that to me? I truly still don't know why. After that, we move on to the next match of the card. Baron Corbin versus Rey Mysterio in a qualifying match for Team SmackDown. We see Mysterio doesn't have his wrestling gear on. That's because, you know, Baron Corbin attacked him before he can even get his wrestling gear. Also, this is Rey Mysterio's first match back from that injury he had a while ago. So it's going to be interesting to see how he copes with that coming, you know, with coming back from that injury. We see Rey Mysterio try to attack early, but eats a spine buster. Then Corbin takes control. Corbin tries to crash Mysterio into the steel steps, but Rey moves. Then Corbin smashes into the steps himself. Then we see Rey begin to build momentum. We hear Seth Rollins' music, who then watches him from the ramp, but Corbin was still unable to take control. We see Corbin build some momentum, but then Rey Mysterio bites Corbin to build some well-needed momentum. The end match was Corbin takes out Dominic Mysterio. Then Mysterio dimes on Corbin to check on his son. He then takes Corbin back into the ring. He hits the 619 and then Rollins starts to attack Dominic Mysterio. So we see Rey Mysterio leave the ring to attack Rollins. Then Buddy and Aaliyah come down and Rey yells at him to get out of here. And then he goes into the ring to receive an end of day. So Corbin now joins Team SmackDown. And with Corbin joining Team SmackDown, this kind of feels like, you know, he's the Sheamus of Team SmackDown. Now, in my opinion, I don't think Team SmackDown right now is shaping up to beat Team Raw unless they get some big players. So we'll just have to wait and see if there's some more qualifying matches for the rest of the night. Well, like we suspected, we have KO versus Jey Uso announced for later on tonight. Now we move on to the next match, which is Natalia versus Alina Vega versus Ruby Wright in a qualifying match. We saw women try to get the advantage early, but no one was really able to take full control. Natalia then locks on a sharpshooter. Then Selena Vega reaches the ropes, but Natalia ends up pulling her away to hold it on even longer. Then we see Ruby Riot slide in the ring to lock on an armbar. At the same time, Natalia has a sharpshooter. And for some reason, Natalia lets it go and Ruby Riot taps out Zelina Vega. Now Ruby Riot is a part of the Team SmackDown for the women's side. But now, where does that leave Liv Morgan? Is Liv Morgan going to have herself a qualifying match? Maybe next week? Maybe sometime eventually before Survivor Series? Because I know these two have to be in this match together. There's two tag teams on Raw, so there has to be a tag team for SmackDown. Now we move on to a backstage segment. We see Big E playing a board game with somebody in the back for money. He ends up winning. Then we hear the Street Profits come around the corner yelling Big E rocks. Then they ask him if he want to come hang out with them in the Champions Lounge. Then Big E accepts. Then Big E says, oh, I get it. Y'all trying to get the scoop. Then he pulls the Street Profits in close and says, if you lay down, Woods and Kofi won't beat you up so bad. Then they all look so serious when they get back up. Then they all start laughing out of nowhere. Then we see Billy Kay come out of nowhere laughing as well. She then says, if you need an inside scoop on Raw, I was on that brand. Then Angelo Dawkins says, we were on that brand at the same time as you. So I thought that was a pretty funny segment. They clearly don't know what to do with Billy Kay right now, so they're just doing anything. 
anything with her at the moment. Now we move on to the next match, which is Otis versus Seth Rollins in a qualifying match for the men's team at this year's Survivor Series. We see Rollins try to get the advantage early. Then he tries to Irish whip Otis, who doesn't budge at all. Then Otis Irish whips Seth Rollins and then sets him up to hit a spine buster. Then we see Seth Rollins roll out to catch a break. We then see Murphy come out. Then Seth looks very shocked. We also see backstage that Aaliyah, Dominic, and Rey Mysterio are all watching and they look shocked as well. We see Seth Rollins then roll back in the ring, but he was unable to build some momentum. Then we see Murphy and Otis stare off and then Corey Graves that is like looking in a funhouse mirror and then him and Cole just break character constantly laughing. I thought that was hilarious. I died with it because all you can do is just picture just having Murphy just stand there looking at Otis. It was like looking at a reflection. I thought it was hilarious. Really good segment. I'm glad that this moment happened. We see Otis then taking Seth Rollins attacks. Then he finally goes on attack. We see Otis going for his finish, but Buddy steps up on the apron. Seth is shocked. Then Otis tries to attack Murphy who dodges. Seth Rollins ends up super kicking Otis then giving him a curb stomp. So we see Seth Rollins now joining Team Smackdown at Survivor Series. And this is a really good addition for Team Smackdown. Now they have Jay Uso, they have Baron Corbin, Seth Rollins, and Kevin Owens. That seems like to be a pretty good team so far. I think their last member is going to be Lars Sullivan. Quote me on that because I think that's truly going to be the final guy. There's two big guys on Team Raw and Braun Strowman and Keith Lee. SmackDown needs a really big guy and he's the only real big guy they have besides Otis but he already had his qualifying match so he's pretty much out the picture. After Seth Rollins Mac he catches up to Buddy Murphy in the back. He tells Murphy tell me this is not what I think I saw and then Buddy says Messiah Disciple. Then Rollins says please wait 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 say it one more time and Buddy Murphy says Disciple Messiah. Rollins says welcome back home and then Aaliyah approaches Buddy Murphy angry she's pushing and shoving him then asks his buddy what was that for and buddy ends up telling her I need you to trust me this is for the greater good so I don't know where the hell they're going with this storyline but I, I guess Ali is gonna turn on her family eventually maybe that's where they're going because I don't know the reason they're having buddy go back with Rollins unless that's the case so like always we'll just have to wait and see now we move on to a Lars Sullivan interview Lars says he hates bullies he's been bullied his whole entire life he said at 14 he gained muscle and the bullying stopped then he became the bully he says he could make people do anything that he wanted. Then for some reason he yells really really loud and I guess he intimidated Michael Cole and then he starts laughing and the interview is over. He basically said the same thing he said last week to Corey Graves so this was another pointless interview. Now we move on to the main event of the evening. Jay Uso versus Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens before the match said things had gotten out of hand. He didn't expect to have a fight with his Survivor Series partner. He says he speaks his mind and it's a bad habit. Owens then goes on to say he chose the mistakes. Nobody made that choice for him. So he's obviously throwing shots at Jay Uso that Roman Reigns tells him what to do and Jay Uso has to do it. So now we move on to the match. We see KO starts off in control early. Then we see Roman Reigns send out Paul Heyman to go manage Jay Uso. Then Jay takes control when we come back from commercial break until Owens attempts to build momentum. Then Owen gets distracted by Paul Heyman and then he eats a kick from Jay Uso knocking him off the turnbuckle allowing Jay to take control. We see Owens build up some great momentum. He then hits a swanton for a near fall. Then he goes for a pop-up powerbomb, but Jay Uso dodges it, and then he hits a super kick. We see Kevin Owens hit a pop-up powerbomb late in the match. Then he goes for the pin, but Jay gets the foot on the rope. We then hear Roman Reigns' music plays, and then Jay Uso hits a low blow on Kevin Owens. Then a super kick. Then he hits an Uso splash for the win. So we see another match, and and you know someone getting low blowed. We've seen it in Keith Lee, Braun Strowman. We've seen it in Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns. Now we're seeing it from Jay Uso. I think the heel thing of the year is to do low blows to finish your match. After the match, we see Roman Reigns come out and stand with Jey Uso. 
so. So there was no vicious attack this week. He didn't go out and beat Kevin Owens up until the end of the show. He just walked away, I guess because that's his Survivor Series partner. He doesn't want any beef with that. But that and SmackDown, it was a really good week for wrestling. We got a lot of the teams filled up. We know we have a couple more spots missing for both Raw and SmackDown. NXT has been giving us some good story. AEW had their go-home show ahead of Full Gear this Saturday. Also, there will be an episode dropping after Full Gear. I don't think it'll be immediately because it's going to take me some time, but there will be an episode dropping because I know Full Gear is going to be crazy. You got Kenny versus Hangman. You got Eddie Kingston facing John Moxley for the AEW world title. You got Sheeta versus Nyla Rose. MJF versus Jericho. You got a lot of really good matches, including FTR versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championship. So it's going to be a really good show. So make sure you look out for that episode. Then after Full Gear, a week later is Survivor Series. So we have a really good month of wrestling and I can't wait to see what happens at Survivor Series, including The Undertaker coming back, even though he should stay retired. But I believe that, you know, it's going to be a really good show. Survivor Series has never let me down. So this has been episode 10 of Wrestling from the Crowd. My name is Ray. You can message me on Twitter at Wrestling From or on Facebook at Ray Colazzo. Thank you for listening. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are.